You are listening to Future Net Zero, a platform to help businesses and the wider community improve our lives and our planet by achieving net zero. In this webinar, Future Net Zero News editor Johnny Bairstow speaks with Simon Ausbury, Managing Director of Energize, in the first instalment of the podcast series, Counting Carbon. In this episode, Simon sets out how to lay the foundations for a successful decarbonisation strategy and how to get started on your own journey towards net zero. Hello everyone and welcome to this podcast with Future Net Zero. Uh, today I'll be talking to Simon Alsbury, Managing Director of Energize. Uh, hello Simon. Hi Johnny, thanks for having me today. Um, good to um, be with everyone and um, to be able to talk through this uh, podcast series. Um, uh, just to give a bit of background to um, Energize and who we are, we're a, a net zero company helping everything from uh, FTSE 100s down to individuals with a series of consultancy or software-based uh, solutions uh, to provide um, guidance or coaching on the pathway to net zero. And as you mentioned there, Simon, this is the first in a series of uh, podcasts coming up uh, with the title Counting Carbon. So first of all, could you tell our audience, what do you mean by counting carbon? What are we talking about? So I think what we're trying to engage with here is to make sure that we follow the kind of basic rule that's always been a, um, a fundamental of energy management, but I think it's, it's just as applicable across into the net zero world of that you, uh, you you can't manage what you can't measure. And I think there's a, there's a need for people to understand their impacts uh, are and, and then where they can actually make a difference. I think we, we often see people uh, not necessarily understanding the priorities around net zero just because the, the carbon footprint isn't as, as fully understood as maybe it should be. Um, so what we're going to talk through is the journey of how to get started for those who are at the very beginning of the journey and then evolve through as to how you can look at the more expanded elements of carbon footprinting um, with the, what's under the GHG protocol referred to as scope free and then look down the line from that as to how you can gain insight about that, what levers you can pull on the pathway to net zero and how you can take those steps towards setting a net zero target and um, arriving at how you use those numbers to um, set a net zero date. Yeah, you mentioned it there, the steps. I think it, it's pretty clear to me that the first step has got to be measuring carbon. Um, why do you think that's so important and how is that linked to the activity of the business? I think um, the best way we summarise it and the way we work at Energize, which is a kind of a variation on the old waste hierarchy, um, is that we um, refer to the pathway to net zero in four simple steps, So we, which we summarise as being review, reduce, renew, rebalance. And I think uh, part of the reason why it's um, important to kind of consider them in those steps is that it's about getting your priorities right in it. If you don't know where you are in the first place, you um, can't necessarily determine where your priority action sits. Uh, and I think that really matters. But I think it's it's also, if you think down that hierarchy, it, it's about making sure that you put the first things first and that you're not just the order of activity of the way you go about doing this is, is uh, the right one for your business. It's the most cost effective. It's the most sustainable um, and that you can get the greatest out, outcomes from your net zero work. And the carbon footprint of a business uh, is broken down into three different scopes, isn't it? So what, what are those and why does measuring all three of them independently matter? There's two parts to that. One is um, kind of the, the definition of the scopes, absolutely, which is linked to the um, greenhouse gas protocol, which is the, the accepted international standard approach behind how we should all be accounting for this. And that's broken down into scope one, scope two and scope three. Scope one being your direct emissions. So anything that you're uh, releasing directly into the atmosphere from your own operations. So that's like combustion of gas or uh, diesel or um, petrol in a vehicle. 
um, where the emission is kind of effectively straight out of an exhaust or flue of some form, um, or something like a fugitive or process emission where there's a, a refrigerant or some chemical compound that contributes to global warming released from a, an industrial process or refrigeration. Scope two is your purchased energy. So it's your electricity or if you've got kind of heating or cooling that you're buying um, as well, then it, it, those are all in, in that bit. And that's really about that stuff that somebody else has created those emissions for, but you're, you're directly using that energy and it's, it's very kind of, is a direct use of the energy, but it's an indirect carbon because somebody else has had to generate it. And then there's that scope free element, which is almost those bits of our our, our consumption approach that we incur indirectly. And it's effectively the impact of our decisions, um, uh, the, the, the the way we travel, the way what, what we buy, the ethics behind the food approaches that people have, um, supply chain engagement you have, all of those things then start to permeate down that scope free side. And I think the, the reason why it's Two important parts is one there is a standard and there's a, a set of a kind of clear answers to that in terms of a methodology uh, that the ghg protocol provides and within scope three for example there's 15 different subcategories with quite comprehensive guidance on the ghg protocol website to help people understand different parts of that prime example of one of those is there's a employee commuting section section seven which right now is quite important because it's what includes the the way in which you handle working from home so it, there's a lot of detail around how you go about doing calculation but the the other aspect of it is because it's standardized it allows us all to compare so you can get an understanding of the comparative performance from one organization to the next so i think that's that's kind of what the different scopes are and i think in terms of understanding where the free matter and the structure behind it if you don't have an, an understanding of all of those different aspects you're not really understanding everything you do it's quite easy in a consumption driven society to to, to effectively hide some of the emissions in scope three. And I'll give the best example of that, which kind of comes further down the line in terms of uh, the, the reporting of this for some organizations, but would be right now where you might have had the emissions in, in an office building, which would once have been electricity and, uh, and gas emissions that now would be a scope three emission because it's in the employee's home. Um, so there's, there, there's a need to look at all of them because they, they are the, the whole picture and without them, you, you potentially lose something um, in the equation. Yeah, thanks. That was a great, a great breakdown of the scopes there. Um, but if, if you're an organization listening to this and you're thinking, you, you know, I've understood the scopes now, but what should I actually be measuring and what's the best way to do so? I think for most people, uh, the best place to start and, and, and the kind of de facto standard best place to start is, is scope one and two. So what that would look like for most people is any fuel you're putting into a vehicle that you, you have any electricity and gas bills and it should include the um, refrigerant recharges that are going into your air conditioning systems if you've got one that, that that's really where people should be starting because that's that that scope one and two is the easier to record and it's where most people start and if for example you're um, obligated under the stream, uh, streamlined energy and carbon reporting scheme secr um, then you have to report some of those elements anyway um it's, it's a statutory obligation it really only works to take the steps on pathway the pathways in net zero if you do it in a pragmatic way uh, it's very important that we all aim for our to take our full responsibility in all of this but it is also important for businesses particularly smaller ones or ones who are really just starting on this to not bite off more they can chew and, and get lost in it so i think scope one and two would be the best place to start and then i think for most people what you then end up going down to is you look at your scope um, free upstream. Um, so 
things like business travel, waste, water, and things you, you you buy. And then it kind of gets into the slightly more complex area for some organizations of what happens downstream of them. Um, I think for most organizations, you, you need to make a real kind of start on that scope one and two. It's often the place in which you can make the greatest immediate impacts. And certainly for smaller businesses, if you're looking at this, it's kind of not just as a carbon thing, but also how do you deliver a cost saving from it? And you're going to get the greatest cost savings from those scope one and two electricity and gas transport related certainly for your own like for your own vehicle uh, measures um, and that, that's kind of the best place to start i think best place to do so in many cases for organizations is just actually kind of at the, at the beginning stages of this is often to just explore it by basic spreadsheets the, the carbon factors behind many of these areas are available on the government website and there's a simple set of those factors and then there's a, a more expanded set for professional users in terms of the best approach for anybody who then gets into doing it regularly or certain activity is generally best then to start looking at some kind of tool that you can get access to and there is a variety of those out there uh, a few free of charge uh, and although they're relatively limited in their scope um, generally so if you're wanting to do this on a more than a certain scale you you'll often need to have access to a proprietary tool uh, there are kind of summaries of some of those that we provide on energize.com but the um the, there's a variety out there uh, in terms of the different things you're trying to do uh, i think in terms of the really at the very beginning of it the best place to start is to is to go this is the level of activity i've got identify that carbon factor and just get a high level Pareto analysis of where you're at I think once you start to understand those challenges, you can start understanding what your what your approach could be. Because if you're a corner shop, your approach to this is, is you're not going to necessarily want to have a, a particularly involved approach to it. But if you're a manufacturer who's got three facilities um, spread across a, a region somewhere in the UK, it will start being a bit more expansive. You'll have more resource to look at that. And then we start getting up to corporate organizations and those that fall into the scope of the bigger schemes clearly are more involved approach is beneficial and particularly with the extra value you can start getting out of that data um, about customer engagement supply chain engagement uh, and those bits and pieces um, so i think the best place to start is keep it simple uh, be really pragmatic along the way make sure you're, you're always using the right factors so trust use trusted sources either a government website or a reputable proprietary provider and you can kind of start simple and then work up the scale yeah, and um, I think most people are aware of the opportunities that come with this journey towards net zero, such as saving the planet is obviously a big one. Um, and as you mentioned there in your answer, uh, cost savings, obviously, are, are another great opportunity that businesses can make the most of. But there are also challenges, as with anything. Um, what would you say the normal challenges are and where do they lie? And, and most importantly, how can people resolve them? I think it's fair to say that number one challenge for most organizations whenever we work with people on this is um, often starts with data. I think it's fair to say that for many people, the electricity and gas bit is the relatively easy bit, although in some cases, even that can be a bit tough for people. And then I think it, it can sometimes get a bit harder there. So I think it's often a case of uh, on the data side of things, making sure that you've understood what you needed. I think for many organizations that, that they record you record certain data because you understand its importance so it's only when you start exploring your carbon footprint for the first time that you start to go actually i need to record the refrigerant recharges that i get in i need to record the uh business travel in a spreadsheet rather than just paying the expenses claims and, and it's, it's, it's almost that building your own little data plan as an organization it's really important for for many of the smaller organizations we've looked at on this and obviously 
what I mentioned in kind of just earlier is you can kind of become a bit more involved behind how you run that if you've got bigger, more complex systems. So for example, if you're a corporate organization with a, a travel management system, then these things become easier, but there's still data challenges on that scale. So I'd say data and people really have to hone in on making sure that they just keep kind of clean and simple uh, approaches to, to that. I think when you get too many answers to a question, um, you can end up with uh, these processes being quite painful for organizations. And it can often be a barrier to action because you spend so much time just building the analysis and not enough actually being able to do anything with the data. I think the second challenge generally is understanding, which is that element of comfort printing is really useful as showing proportionality to people, but most people have no real concept of what a ton of carbon actually represents in terms of a equivalent number of trees that you'd need to have to sequester that or what that represents. It's, it's very abstract figure. We talk about it a lot, but it's hard to get yeah, ahead of it. Absolutely. And I, I, I think from my point of view, I like the kind of the parallel of the fact that on a volumetric basis, like visually, it's about the size of a high air balloon. I think, kind of, I mean, high air balloons vary in size, but you know what I mean? It's a... Um, a moderately sized hot air balloon. Yeah, absolutely. But I think all that really does is give people an idea of scale. And I think the challenge is in our minds, we struggle to get, once you get to a certain, like, okay, it's 10,000 high air balloons. It's, like, it's just as abstract as it was before. So I think you really do have to tackle that challenge of not just telling somebody that it is this big or it's equivalent to something that's still quite abstract. I think you have to actually put it in meaningful terms for people and often related directly to something that makes sense to them. So I think there's an understanding piece that is, for most people, the beginning of their carbon footprinting journey is, an, is, a, is a period of discovery. It's not something where um, they've done it over and over again in the past and this is about learning new ways of doing it. It's also not kind of they tried different techniques in the past to it. It's often a case that this is literally the first time they've really engaged with this information on a certain level of detail. And that naturally requires them to figure out how they're going to do that experience in a way that works for them in future. And so I think you end up in that kind of many of those engagement challenges, which are how do you get people into a rhythm where this becomes normal behavior, not new behavior, um, and it becomes a habit. Um, and I think actually at society at large, that's going to be one of our longer term challenges when you talk about this on a domestic scale. I think beyond that, you you, you also then need to consider how the, the kind of the third challenge I'd highlight for most people is how you engage with the, 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 the data to the next step. So how do you turn that data into action? Uh, because most people don't necessarily track their action directly against their carbon footprint, if that makes any immediate sense. Um, so you've got my carbon footprint. Uh, so I, we know, I know as an organization that because we got our full free scope carbon footprint. I know with Energize as an organization that our office is actually our fifth largest contributor to our carbon footprint with uh, our things we, the, the, the goods and services we buy being number one, the, the employee commuting number two, and the, the travel we conduct as part of our, our operations is number three. And actually that might immediately be quite surprising to people because you'd, you'd, you might think of a couple hundred square meter um, office with kind of four or 500 uh, site visits a year, the, those two would be our flagship ones, but then they're, they're not, they're bumped down the list because when you get an understanding of the relative impact of different things, you start to realize where your priorities actually sit around this. So you need to attach your actions directly to that. So I think how people resolve those challenges is really by just planning well, getting into habits, 
and just really making sure that you find a way that you engage with the data. So I think it becomes really important about the way you actually present this. I think if all an organization ever does is quickly writes out their total electricity use, gas usage, and the amount of liters of, uh, that they purchased for fuel in the last year, times them, creates, creates a number, and literally just goes, okay, well, my total carbon footprint is, I don't know, 350 tons or something that isn't going to have much meaning to that organization you're not going to get connection with it you're not going to get it's not going to become a tool about how you start moving on the pathway to net zero it's not it, 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 it it's it's data for data's sake if you leave it in that form you've got to find somewhere further down the line to take that and how that becomes action you mentioned tools there simon um and i think as you said they're a vital part um, of kind of making this whole picture make more sense. Um, and what tools are there out there? What, what tools would you suggest people have a look at? So I think kind of from a high level point of view, I think you, if you, you kind of take a little bit of what I was referring to earlier, you've got kind of almost three options here. You've got freely available carbon information, uh, which are kind of carbon factors that are available on the GovUK website. And if you go to GovUK and search carbon factors, the, that'll just give you the, the, the calculation numbers behind it. So you basically need to take your level of activity. So say kilowatt hours for electricity or um, liters for a fuel or, or equivalent for, for other activity and multiply it by the, by the factor. And there is quite a bit of guidance in there that will help you through that. But that spreadsheet the government provides is not a tool in itself it's just a data set so you'll have to create a separate way of analyzing that so like just jumping back to what i said before excel is realistically one of the options that's out there there are a set of freely available tools that are helpful for people to get their understanding around specific aspects around this on the smaller scale I'm kind of referring to some of those earlier there is uh, on the domestic side there's quite a few freely available tools and the wwf provides a quite a, a good one on, on the domestic scale the relatively limited options around the the business side i know the carbon trust provides a, a footprint calculator but it's not full scope you you, you it's, it's got limitations in terms of what you can put into it so there are some restrictions on on that piece but there is a freely available one there there is the reality that once you start getting up to a a certain level of detail in this that you're you're likely to be looking at proprietary tools but a lot of those are quite cost effective you're talking kind of for an sme you're often talking hundreds not thousands in terms of uh, the costs for these things per annum uh, and that makes them pretty accessible for 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 most um businesses of a certain size um and i think that, that there is a important consideration for businesses to have behind that which in the same way as you would want to make sure that your accounting software is up to date or you want to make sure that a legislation monitoring service you have was up to date carbon factors change over time um and so having a proprietary provider behind it will give you some confidence in that and you may well find there's also part of that structure which is that they'll check some of the numbers for you or or something like that and we are one of those providers in terms of the structure of it but if you, you kind of break it down into structures for most people it, 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 that that's the kind of the overarching structure that's there there are uh, sadly relatively few freely available tools um uh to, that are kind of comp comprehensive pieces of software but it's, it's understandable in terms of knowing our own experience the, the investments you have to make into these tools but uh but they are they're pretty cost effective in terms of uh the, the level of being able to access them but the data sets are uh in the public domain um so for people who kind of want to be self-started on this uh, those are, are are out there um, notably with the the core scope one and two um, and, and some of the scope three aspects in in, in the, the government's own factors if you wanted anything international you'd need to get it from resources like the I, the international energy agency iea handbook or similar sources and then kind of moving beyond that you'll um if you went down into kind of some of the supply chain 
uh, aspects you, you 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 would need carbon factors for individual pieces of activity then you might want to look at something like a guest account on EcoInvent, which is gives you free access to a limited number of um, factors if you want a larger scale again there's a proprietary piece to it well yeah simon i think that that this seems like a good point uh to reach my last question which focuses really on we've covered a lot about scope one and two uh, obviously there is scope three as well so what comes next after you've kind of looked at those first two areas? For most organisations, you like once you've got that first step, you've, you, the, the expectation in terms of anything significant in terms of um, taking the pathway to net zero is is you've got to look at scope three, not least because if you want to, for example, declare carbon neutrality, it's mandatory to cover certain amounts of scope three, anything that's over one percent. Of your footprint overall and, and and it's also mandatory if for example you wanted to do a science-based target um so it's unavoidable as a final step and certainly any long-term industry standards that evolve on these things we'll have to wait and see about what's in iso 40068 the, the standard that's being drafted at the moment for carbon neutrality but there, it's it has to be the next step for people to to kind of start moving down that pathway towards net zero and any form of carbon neutrality. The best way to approach it for most organizations is to start upstream of yourself. So things that happen before you, so the things you buy, the activities your that your employees have as an input to your business, anything that basically comes as an input. So any logistics to deliver things to you, all these different aspects, so waste, water, business travel, purchase goods and materials, um, employee commuting, employee home working would all be in that list of things and i think in terms of the kind of calculation approaches to those those are obviously something where you kind of need to get into the nitty-gritty of some of them um some of them are easier than others um, some of the travel aspects for example you can often get a bit more involved on some of these things because if you're for example a manufacturing company you might need to dive in a bit more detail and, and look at kind of life cycle analysis to make sure that the numbers you're using in this area are a bit more accurate than just using the, the standard uh, generic ones because you might find that your supply chain is uh, a disproportionate element and if uh, of, your, of your overall carbon footprint and if for example you're using the standard factor for a particular material and your supply chain actually comes from a different country that basically either farms that or prepares that in a different way you'll find there's fluctuations and variations in that. And that's where, as you work down these different levels of complexity down uh, this journey of carbon footprinting, you, you you need to draw the line about where you need to go into that level of depth. So I think for most organizations, the best place to start is that upstream element in scope three. The, the, the downstream element is where kind of things are less commonly understood but there's some really great examples in, in, in of people taking some great action there we're basically looking at what's the experience of uh what, what's the carbon impact of the, of the product or service you've sold further down the line so there's some good examples that are on the ghg protocol website actually about projects that i think it's um, both glade the air fresheners and, and sap the accounting software have, have done about looking at the in-use emissions of their products and how doing that that review of it means that they can actually engage with their customers to reduce the customer's carbon footprints because um, they're actually looking at what the impact is and then in um, one case changing it from being a plug-in device and the other by recoding their software to reduce the impact on soft on servers so it's it's that scope free downstream element that can often make you start thinking about whether your business strategy needs to change um, and this is where net zero becomes more about something that you need to be rather than something you need to do because it becomes about what your identity is and 
and reflecting through that. And, and so this journey is more than just about the numbers in terms of the approach for most people. Well, thank you very much, Simon. That was a wealth of fantastic information there. Uh, and thank you to our audience too. Uh, that was obviously the first part of our five-part podcast series uh, with Energize uh, called Counting Carbon. So Simon ran us through there on how to get started uh, with a focus on scope one and two. And please tune into our next podcast, which will be coming up shortly. Uh, that's titled Understanding the Impacts Upstream of You. Uh, so you won't want to miss that. And uh, thank you very much again, Simon. Thanks, Johnny. You have been listening to an Energy Live News podcast. This has been a promoted podcast. Thanks for listening to this future Net Zero podcast. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.futurenetzero.com. Future Net Zero. Better business, better planet.